Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek, and I am your hostess for Power Up Your Performance. I'm sitting here today as we record, and I'm thinking about how some people come into your life before you even really know you need them. They lift you up, they inspire you, and teach you lessons that will give you strength someday in the future. So they're teaching you things now that you don't even know are going to be so profound in a week or a month or a couple of years. Not to be overly mysterious, but I'm just really thankful this week that I have friends who inspire me to be my best, to be courageous, and to look at life as an adventure. And that is my wish for you today, that you surround yourself by people who inspire you and that your environment supports your goals that you spend your time in places and among people who are in your corner and help you work toward your goals rather than people who drag you down and fill your head with garbage. And on that note, here's what I've got for you to think about today. I'm releasing this episode the first week of September. Although I did this interview at the end of April, And we're talking about how to be healthy without trying so hard. Because really, we tend to overcomplicate wellness when we let all the noise that is out there in our heads. There's so many people who are trying to profit off of our negative thinking. And so we we really make, make things too complicated. One thing I've noticed over the last few months is the number of women beating up on themselves because of the weight they've gained during the pandemic. So first things first, I want you to stop that right now. You are amazing exactly as you are. And what you weigh, how far you can run or walk, the wrinkles on your face, the cellulite on your thighs, none of it makes you any less beautiful or worthy of love. So be kind to yourself. Second, I'm so tired of diet culture and the fitness industry telling us we need to look a certain way And they're making all this money off of our insecurities. So know that today's episode is not about that. Food touches every aspect of our lives and everyone needs to eat. Because of this, your relationship to food is important, but it doesn't need to be so hard. And that's what I love about today's guest. We talked about eating from a perspective that maybe you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about, and that is What does emotional eating look like? What does that phrase even mean? Rather than worrying about lists of foods that you can and can't eat, Claudia Wilson encourages her clients to be mindful of why they are eating. And you might be surprised to learn what emotion, emotional eating, is most often tied to. So who is Claudia Wilson? She's today's guest. She is a health and lifestyle coach, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, a board-certified specialist in sports nutrition, a strength and conditioning specialist trainer, and the author of One Two Punch. She created One Two Punch after meeting with thousands of clients and creating a method that is easy, doable, and sustainable. I like that sustainable part. 
I hope you like this interview. Be sure to head over to my Instagram or Facebook accounts. After you listen, Power of Run is how you can find me. And look Claudia up. I'll tag her in the posts. Ask your questions. And let's just keep this conversation going. I want to know what you think about how we can make this world of fitness and wellness and nutrition easier without trying so hard. So listen to this episode and let me know what you think. On to our interview. Welcome to the show, Claudia. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. We were talking before and I'm already excited about some of the things we're going to chat about. Yeah. So let's get one of the big ones out of the way right at the very beginning of the show. What is the best diet? Everybody always wants to know. There's so many out there, all the brand name diets. What's the best one? I, the best one is the one that you can do, period. The best one is the one that you can do. It's one of the reasons why I wrote One Two Punch because I believe it helps people feel balanced, right? Balanced in their body, balanced in their blood sugar, but also gives them a balance of um, healthy versus non-healthy food if they want it. But it's just one option. The best diet is one that you can do. In the same way, I often get asked, when's the best time to exercise? The best time to exercise is when it works for you. Don't beat your head against the wall trying to exercise at some perfect time. It's when it works for you. And also, what is the best exercise? The one that you will do. And at the same time, what is the best vegetable? The best best vegetable is one that you will eat. If you can't stand Brussels sprouts, then, oh my goodness, don't eat them. Don't eat them. It will just backfire. So that's my answer. The best diet is one that you can reasonably do that fits in your life, allows you to be reasonably healthy without trying so hard. And you'll get lots of different answers for that as far as the best diet out there, but it's something that you can do and something that is sustainable and not torture. Oh, I like that. Not torture. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get another big question out of the way at the beginning of this episode. And that is, I feel like we are in an interesting place right now with body positivity and health at every size. And it's hard to talk about exercise and weight loss as somebody who cares about other people. I'm not doing a good job of expressing myself when I'm talking about this, but I feel like there's big major companies out there that are getting rich off of diet culture. And then there's people who are in the health and fitness and wellness space who are being trained. Let's not talk about diet. Let's not talk about weight loss because it can be harmful to some people. Yeah. So wait, I, where's, where's the balance and wh- where do we go with this? Yeah. I think for me and my clients and my approach and my philosophy, it, it depends on how you are phrasing the questions and the comments, it depends on your intention and it depends on the context. I have clients that come to me in this health positivity space, body positivity space. They come to me and they say, I actually 
want to lose weight and not because I believe society is pressuring me to lose weight, but here are my, I feel legitimate reasons to lose weight. I'm overeating. I'm emotionally eating. I'm, I'm stress eating. I'm eating way past the point of fullness. And I think as I bring things back into check, I will lose weight and feel better, but they're asking me, which is painful to me. They're asking for permission. Is it okay to want to lose weight? Because they're getting shamed in that space. And I think we need to, and I have really strong feelings about this. I think we need to allow space for both, for what the person wants. If the person does not want to diet and, and no, I don't think people, I think dieting can be harmful. Like you said, fitness professionals are taught not to talk about it. I think it can be harmful. And so people should be allowed not to diet and be so proud of their bodies, whatever their body size is. We need to allow that space, but also the space that if you want to lose weight within reason, then that should be allowed too. Neither group should be shamed for what they're trying to do in their own body and their own health and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just seems like there are just so many, because there are so many people who want to lose weight for whatever reason that they have, there's just so many companies that are just preying on them, on their weaknesses, on their vulnerabilities because they only know exactly what to say to make them feel worse about themselves so that they'll buy the diet program. And feel guilty. The other thing is <clears throat> it's very difficult. So with my clients, we are working on, if they come to me and they already know that they're a stress eater, an emotional eater, they are in a pattern of overeating regularly at certain times or all the time. We talk about exploring that space of why you're overeating, what's going on with your feelings that are driving you to that, driving you to eat when you're not hungry. And that is a space that is very hard to sit. It is much easier to attach to a tangible diet, a tangible supplement, an external template it's much easier to, okay, I'm going to do all the bells and whistles because that makes me feel safer to do all the bells and whistles. It feels very abstract and ambiguous to sit in this space of, I don't really know what I'm feeling. I know I'm not physically hungry, but I don't really know what I'm feeling. And also, I don't really want to find out what I'm feeling because a lot of times there's a lot of pain under that. So what is a healthy approach to eating? Because I think that's what you are teaching people in your book, One Two Punch. Yeah, I am. So I often describe One Two Punch as a bridge to mindful and intuitive eating. In my experience um, with, and I've been doing this for over 25 years, clients who try intuitive eating, it feels a little like free falling. You mean anything goes, I could, I can eat whatever I want. And yes, that is true. But I also tell them, okay, we can't change the laws of nature and physics. You can eat whatever you want and you can eat as much as you want. 
but know that when you eat past the point of fullness, that your body is going to store that probably as fat. Know that when you eat, when you're not physically hungry, your body is going to store that as fat. I'm not saying that's bad. I just want you to know what's happening. That's what we, that's what I think healthy is for the most part, for the most part, you are responding when your body is physically hungry. That's the burn section of the book. You are waiting for those signals um, in your body to tell you that you're hungry and you're fueling your body when it's hungry and you're stopping when it's full. Are there times that we're not always doing that? Yes, of course there are. But for the most part, I would say 80% of the time, we're trying to fuel our body when it's asking for it, when it's going to burn that fuel. So does that mean that if you're not a person who likes breakfast, the pressure is off to eat breakfast? Oh, absolutely. The pressure is off. It's one of the, it's one of the first things I start with. I'm always so fascinated when a client comes in and we're going through, we talk about what they want to achieve, why they reached out to me, why they're talking to me, why they read the book. And then we go through their day and I say, what time is it the first time that you eat anything? And they tell me, and they tell me what they have. And I say, why did you choose to eat at that time? And they say, I don't know, it's breakfast time and I'm supposed to eat breakfast. And then I ask, are you hungry? And they either say, no, I'm not. Or they say, I have no idea. I've never stopped to check. Yeah. Yeah. So the pressure's off. Like, I think breakfast, the optimal time to have breakfast is the first time that you get hungry after waking. And that is going to vary widely among individuals. And then what does breakfast consist of? Because if you're a high school student, you might not be able to eat breakfast when you're hungry because you're stuck. But what does breakfast have to be? So I recommend in intuitive eating and mindful eating, it's whatever sounds good to you, but I always recommend pairing, and this is why it's called the one-two punch. I always recommend pairing a protein with a carbohydrate. Can you have a carbohydrate all by itself? Yes, of course you can. But I just want you to know that if you do, you're going to have a rise in your blood sugar, possibly a spike in your blood sugar with a significant drop and not feel as balanced and as full as if you pair that carbohydrate with a protein. So that I think is optimal is a fist of carbohydrate and a fist of protein. If you're a high school student and you know that you typically get hungry at let's say nine and you've been in school since seven 30 and you're not able to eat, you might want to eat so that you don't get hungry at nine, or you might decide okay, I know I get hungry at nine, but my next break in between classes is at 10. And I really am trying to fine tune my eating when I'm hungry. I might choose to stay hungry until 10, until I can have a protein bar or something that's easy and quick in between classes. That makes sense. Now let's talk a little bit about emotional eating because I think that is a big one. Yeah. You you hear about people who I'm going to start a diet and then they quit because after one day something went wrong and they didn't do it perfectly. Yes. And yes. some of that in there has to be 
emotional eating, right? Yeah. So I like to say what I hear most often when someone starts whatever diet or program, I, I always ask them, what made you stop doing that? And the number one answer that they tell me, which I find fascinating is life got in the way. And I'm like, wait a second, shouldn't life be what we're doing every day? It just seems so odd to me. I get it. I get it. I'm not a complete alien. I get what they're saying. But when we think about it, doesn't that not make sense that life gets in the way of your diet, meaning what you're eating every day, what you're eating every day should fit into your life. And yes, life is going to happen, but it should be something that you can do. The emotional eating, lots of people have, I'll say black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking. And I work with clients all the time that still believe that the only way I'm going to lose weight is if I take out all processed food, if I take out all sugar, sometimes if I take out all carbs, that's the only way I'm going to lose weight. And we have to repattern their thinking to understand that if they eat when they're hungry and not overeat, they can have really anything they want. It's the emotional eating that gets in the way. So I encourage them to text me when they understand, when they've learned what their physical hunger feels like and what their physical fullness feels like, and they still want to eat, I ask them to text me because that is a craving. That is appetite for something. And really that craving is wanting to be in a different space. I'm getting super philosophical, but there's the emotional eating. There's a reason other than physical hunger that we're being drawn to the food. And when you put anything off limits, and I have this example in the book, if I said to you, Kim, for the next five minutes, don't look at my earrings. (laughs) Chances are super high that you did not notice my earrings until I said that. And suddenly all you want to do is look at the earrings and the diet is a way of don't look, don't look when really, when you're doing that and restricting and depriving yourself, all you want to do is look. So when you're trying to take the sugar off or trying to make it only healthy foods, all you can think about is the sugar. And so then it backfires and you're into the emotional eating oftentimes because you're so tired of doing that and feeling so deprived. And then the cycle starts all over again. Then you feel like you're off the rails and and you end up sometimes binging, overeating on everything that was not allowed on the diet. And then you feel so guilty and it feels so yucky. It really does feel yucky to get overly full that you think you need something super strict to bring it back into balance. I think this is really interesting because to listen to you talk about it, it just makes it sound super simple. But at the same time, we know that for so many people, it's not simple because so many people struggle with the emotional aspect of eating. Yeah. One of the biggest emotions, I will say that 
people uncover with me. And this is hard. It's painful. I, you can probably see in the background, I have a tissue box. I see clients across the country virtually, but because of being vaccinated, I'm just starting to see them in person as well. It's emotional. So when we talk about the feelings that are underneath that wanting to eat, very often it's loneliness. I'm lonely. Or even in a house full of people, they feel disconnected and they want that connection or they feel unstimulated, especially right now where we've been in this pandemic for a really long time and Mm -hmm. so many things we want that we can't have so many things, but it's uncovering the emotion and being able to look, first of all, being able to uncover it, meaning being aware of it. That is the first hard step. And then really looking at it and that makes it real. When we look at it and name it and the person understands, yeah, I guess I'm, I guess I'm lonely. And that feels empty. And studies have shown that loneliness feels like hunger because it feels empty. And so of course we eat food as an activity, but also to fill that space. And so if I'm asking them because they want to be an intuitive eater, they want to eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full. If I'm asking them not to fill that space and we really are exploring that emptiness and loneliness, that's super hard. That's super hard. So then do you recommend that somebody who's, oh yeah, this sounds really familiar. I am an emotional eater. This is me. Uh She's describing me. If they're not working with somebody like you, how do they find the right kind of person that will do that deeper work with them to help them get to that psychological piece, because it sounds like there's a lot of pain there that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. They can certainly work with me. I am more aptly described as a health and lifestyle coach than, and, and a nutrition therapist more than a registered dietitian, which I am, but I've had years and years of psychological training and psych supervision. And so they can, if they discover all these, I'll call them wounds. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a strong word, but that really is what we're dealing with. If they discover wounds underneath their eating, they can talk to a therapist about those things, or they can find a nutrition therapist. Very often I'm working with a client together with a therapist and they can, if they're seeking a therapist, if they've read the book and they feel like they have a handle on what physical hunger and fullness is and they're looking for a therapist, it's helpful to find someone who might understand how your overeating is tied to those feelings. And and that's the connection point that, that we are working on, that I'm working on with a client is, what is this overeating tied to? What is it connected to? And sometimes we connect it to a feeling, I feel anger, I feel sadness, I feel loneliness, I feel anxiety. And sometimes we can work through that feeling, but very often it's tied to previous childhood experiences, family dynamics, family patterning, and sometimes trauma that they didn't even know was there. And that can be really alarming and unsettling. 
And so quite often I'm sending them to a therapist to, to work through and process that trauma. That's where the, that's where the healing is, but it's really painful. Like you said, it's hard. So then I also want to make sure that we're not giving people permission to starve themselves. So we talk about eating when you're hungry, but what if there's somebody who in the back of their mind is saying, I never get hungry. So she just told me I don't have to eat. What's the advice to people like that? Yeah. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I talked to them about the physiological body (laughs) and patterns that we would expect from being human, whether they exercise or not, whether they're active or not, the, the human body requires fuel and it requires a baseline amount. It varies from between individuals, but that's what we call your basal metabolic rate. And it's not reasonable <laughs> to think that you wouldn't at least reach a level of eating that met your basal metabolic needs and then some. So if they are telling me, I'm telling you, I promise I don't have the signals. There's a couple of reasons that might be the case. They, they might not be lying. That might be their truth. They don't feel hungry. It could be that they've restricted for so long that their hormones and their metabolic rate are out of whack. So that could totally be the case until we start to refeed and recalibrate that metabolic rate and those hormones recalibrate as well and start to send signals with a regular amount of eating. That could be the case also that they have a lot of anxiety that they didn't know they had, or maybe they knew that they had, and that is masking their hunger signals or masking those hormones. No, it's not permission to starve yourself. If you're not hungry on a regular basis, which we're supposed to be hungry, then we need to look at that. Yeah. And then because I do have a lot of athletes that listen, let's touch on that a little bit about fueling your body to actually perform. Yeah. So exercise, as great as it is, exercise can sometimes mask those hunger signals and blunt is a, is a better way to describe it, those hunger signals. And it's interesting with an athlete, they might, that hunger might kick in at times that you wouldn't expect it. Very often I will have an athlete who is, you know, doing daily workouts and sometimes doubles, sometimes triples if they're swimmers. And they expect, sometimes they expect the hunger to kick in right after the workout. Or if they had double workouts that day, they expect the hunger to be that day. And very often it's delayed. So they might be fine eating on the day that they're having double workouts, but the next day, they're ravenously hungry. That's to make up for the previous day. And it's not always, it can't always be predicted. And it's not always exactly what we think it would be. Sometimes it's, it kicks in at different times. And I encourage athletes, if I'm really trying to match, which I always am, their intake to their metabolism to really improve their performance and make their performance optimal. We're really trying to get them to listen to their body instead of matching a template. And the body, it isn't static. It's not static. Those processes 
that are happening in the body ebb and flow. And so when your body is hungry, even if it doesn't make sense that you might be ravenously hungry, then that's the opportunity to take. And were you saying earlier that at those times when you're really hungry, that's when your body's more likely to burn the calories also? Oh, absolutely. The optimal time to eat that your body is going to burn the calories is when you're hungry. And speaking of athletes, I recommend, because I wanted people to be able to balance their protein and carbohydrate without tracking, measuring, weighing, Mm -hmm. calculating, because I think that increases stress. And it's, this is why people say life gets in the way, because it's a lot of work to track all that. So I recommend using the size of your fist for a portion of protein and the size of your fist for a portion of carbohydrate. But after practicing, you might find like I had a really hard workout and I already understand my hunger and my body. So very often I need two fists of protein and two fists of carbohydrate. It's just a starting point. If people don't understand when they're physically hungry and don't understand when they're full. And that is typical. I think that's common is what I meant to say. We start there, start with a fist of protein, start with a fist of carbohydrate, make sure you're hydrated. And then let's see how you feel in 20 minutes. That might not be enough for you. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So then another question, food is involved it seems like it's so intertwined in almost everything we do. How do we eat mindfully when there's we're surrounded by opportunities to eat where it feels like we're the ones missing out on the fun if we yeah. choose to eat differently than the people at the party or in the office or whatever? Yeah. I think the mindfulness starts, and I have a chart in the book that talks about this. I think the mindfulness starts with you reaching for something to eat. Why are you reaching for it? Take a deep breath, roll your shoulders back, take a deep breath, and then figure out why am I reaching for this? What's going on in my body? If you don't know, and you don't really know whether you're hungry or not, I recommend, okay, take another deep breath, have some water, and then figure out if you're hungry. Or if you if you know that you're not hungry, try to explore why you're eating, why you're reaching for that. And then because the answer might be my office is getting together for lunch. That's why I'm that's why I'm sitting here um, having lunch or everyone else is standing around the bar in the kitchen eating snacks. That's why I'm reaching for something. So you can totally choose to assess whether you're hungry or not, but it's the intention behind it. So I might be with a group of people that are eating. And when I assess what's going on in my body, I might determine, no, I'm not physically hungry, but I'm going to choose to eat anyway. That's not mindless. That there's an intention behind that. I know my body's not hungry. I can't expect my body to tell me when it's full in this circumstance because I'm not starting with an empty tank, so to speak, or an empty incinerator, but I can still choose to eat, but I might have a hard time determining when I'm full because I'm not hungry anyway. That is not mindless at all. Mindless is when you don't know why you're eating and you're not aware of the context of why you're eating and don't really know when you're full because you're not even aware 
of why you're eating. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it helps people so that they feel like they can have that slice of cake or the piece of pizza, maybe without missing out. So yes. that you're still getting that social aspect. Yeah. And you're not feeling like you're completely left out because nobody wants to be the one that's eating their, I don't know, crusty, dried up, whatever, flavorless rice cake when yeah. everybody else is having a good time. Yeah, exactly. And if you've already had dinner and you had plenty of vegetables and a protein and a carb, and then, and you've already had your carb, I talk about this in the book and you didn't anticipate dessert was coming. Plus you wanted all the things at dinner, go ahead and have the dessert, but just check yourself. What's going on? Are you already full? Then you might want to be very mindful in how much cake you're having. Of course, you want to participate with everyone else. And there's a connection of eating together. That's a connection point. And you don't want to miss out. But it's really useful and very valuable, I think, to determine where you are. I'm not really hungry, so it's going to be really easy to overeat this. Now, your book has three sections to it. Can you tell us a little bit about those three sections and just the overall idea behind each of those. Yes, I can. So we've really already touched on them. The first, and I love alliteration. So it's burn, balance, and become. The first section is burn. And I use the analogy of an incinerator. And it's really gaining the skills to determine when you're hungry so that your body will burn the food that you give it. That's when I think it's optimal for a healthy weight, balanced weight, that's when I think it's optimal to eat is when your body is going to burn it. So that's the first section. Then there's lots of graphs and pictures and ways to help people understand what it means to be physically hungry. And then the balance is all the information that you could possibly need, I hope, (laughs) possibly need about how to determine what's a protein and what's a carb. And then that's really where the one-two punch comes in. It's using your fist as a guide, having a fist size portion roughly, right, of protein and a fist size portion of carb. And the balance, in the balance, we talk about permission. So that fist size portion of protein could be, sure, something super healthy like grilled salmon. And the fist size portion of carb could be brown rice pilaf. But maybe you don't like those things and you're just really in the mood for a hot dog and a cupcake. That's okay too. Those are still within the boundaries of I'm hungry, right? That's your first foundational principle. And I'm going to balance my protein and carbohydrate so that I have, so that my carbohydrate is anchored by the protein and I don't have these spikes. The become is becoming the you that you've always wanted. The become is starting to unpack all the emotions surrounding and all those other reasons why we might be eating when we're not physically hungry. All the other reasons why we eat besides fueling for physical hunger. Situations that make you want to eat the whole pan of brownies and exploring. It's really an exploration section, giving you tools and ideas and examples to explore the emotions that are going on besides just the physicalness of when your body is going to burn it and 
you know, how to balance your protein and carbs. Now we are all over the place in this conversation. Is there I anything know. about the book that I didn't ask you that you wanted to make sure the listeners know? I don't think so. We covered a lot of ground. All right. Then tell everybody how to find the book, how they can work with you. And you have a special deal, a special offer for listeners to this podcast. I do. Okay. So if you want to, a couple things, if you want to buy the book from my website or you want the digital copy or you want a handout kit, my website is one, two punch book, all spelled out.com. Or if you want to work with me, you can reach out to me there as well. You can also purchase it, the paperback version or Audible version or Kindle version on Amazon. And on Amazon, you can see the inside of the book and also get those other versions, the Kindle and the Audible and see reviews. There's lots of reviews on Amazon. If you want to buy the book, the paperback free at my website, onetwopunchbook.com, you can enter the code POWERUP, all caps, and then pay a flat $4 shipping fee and I'll ship it out to you. Sounds awesome. And I'm going to put all of that in the show notes for anybody who was out running or driving or whatever, so that you can just oh, awesome. show notes and get that information. Thank you so much for talking to us today. This has been super helpful. Oh, thanks, Kim. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.